Blue Wire. Touchdown pass, 5-4-0 in the 5-0-4. Jason takes it himself, look at him jump back and forth. Oh, he broke his ankle. Watson stays on his feet, throws on the run, touchdown. Watson, a magician. Mahomes winds it up, wide open as Hill. Welcome to another episode of the My Sports Update Football Podcast. I am your host, Ari Mera. We are now into the post-draft, post-schedule release portion of the offseason. Things are going to be a bit quieter now around the NFL. Everything is still virtual in our lives. We have no idea what's going to happen as the days and weeks go by. But the NFL is going on business as usual. A schedule is out. They are expecting the season to start on time, and we all hope that is going to be the case. On this week's episode, we have another special guest, former Steelers cornerback and two-time Super Bowl champion, Bryant McFadden joins the show. And just to keep it short, some of the stories Brian gave during our 50-minute discussion, they were hilarious, they were insane, wild, and even some of it was hard to believe. You really do not want to miss it. So that is coming up. I'm also going to announce our giveaway winners from last week's NFL Jersey giveaway. Two winners, thanks to Blue Wire. We'll announce that near the end of this episode. Before we go to Bryant, a quick word from our exclusive partner, betonline.ag. With currently no NBA, no NHL, no NFL, no MLB, you might think there is nothing to bet on. Well, you are wrong. Our exclusive partner, BetOnline.ag, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they are bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. BetOnline.ag has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations that you can bet on. It is all open 24 hours a day, and it is all done online. Go to BetOnline.ag, use the promo code Blue Wire, B L U E W I R E, to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. All right, so here it is my discussion with Brian McFadden. We started off by talking a little bit about the NFL offseason, what went down over the last month and a half, and then we shifted over to his career. And as I said before, you really don't want to miss his stories. From their magical Super Super Bowl run in 2005, in the final season of Jerome Bennis' career, to their wild Super Bowl win over Arizona in 2009, you might be shocked to hear what that defense did the night before the Super Bowl. That is the only teaser you're going to get. So here it is, my full discussion with Brian McFadden. Joining me now here on the My Sports Update Football Podcast, he is a former NFL cornerback, two-time Super Bowl champion of the Pittsburgh Steelers. You now see him on CBS Sports as a football analyst. It is Bryant McFadden. Bryant, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. How you doing? I'm doing well. I appreciate you coming on here today. A lot to get to. We're going to talk about the current NFL first, then we're going to talk about your career with the Steelers and those Super Bowl winning teams and that defense that you guys had over there, which was just lethal. But first, let's start with this offseason. What has gone down? Free agency is over. The draft is over. The schedule is out. Things are going to be much quieter now. Looking at the big picture right now, who for you, which team improved the most this offseason with all the moves they've made? Oh, man. You know, there, there have been a lot of entertaining moves throughout the NFL. You know, when you talk about free agency, when you talk about the draft, but I think the one particular team that has made the biggest improvements, in my opinion, and maybe the listeners, you know, agree with me as well, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And that's solely about signing Tom Brady. Uh, Yeah, Tom Brady is still 42. I mean, he's 42, but he's still playing real good football. And I think when you have a guy like Tom Brady on your team, instantly the expectations, you know, get higher. And then they weren't done. You go sign Tom Brady. And then Tom Brady basically goes recruit Rob Gronkowski out of retirement. He was just jumping off the top rope in the WWE. And and now he's back, ready to catch touchdowns in the red zone because Tom wanted him back. And then you go give JPP an extension. And then when you look at the draft, 
you know, we had concerns about the uh, – I know I had concerns about Tampa's offensive line, but going out to go get Tristan Roast, talented athletic offensive lineman from Iowa, uh, many felt like he was probably the best offensive lineman in the draft. You go get him, you know, in the first round. Antoine Winfield Jr. Uh, in the second round. Outstanding ball hawking safety. So, for me, looking at free agency, then looking at the moves they made throughout the draft, uh, it's it has to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, and I would agree with you. And I know some people would tell us that's the easy answer. Some people would say don't get too excited about when one team does so much in one offseason. But here's the thing for me. First of all, getting Tom Brady obviously is big. But moving on from Jameis Winston is the bigger thing because the amount of turnovers and the amount of possessions they are saving by just making that one switch, it's enormous. And then the other thing that people don't talk about enough it's just how good the Buccaneers' defense was at the end of last year. With Todd Bowles as a defensive coordinator, this defense was one of the top five, top seven defenses in all of football. And they bring back Shaq Barrett, 19 and a half sacks last year. They bring back JPP, as you said. They bring back Ndamukong Sue. They have Devin White, their top five pick from last year. Levante David, I've been saying this for a long time, one of the most underappreciated players in all of football. One of the best linebackers gets no national recognition at all they have a very young and talented secondary so this is a real team and we all know about the weapons on offense the offensive line is above average so yeah this is a team that should be able to compete next year now on the flip side for you Bryant which team didn't do as much in the offseason didn't do what you expected to see or didn't do enough uh, a team that Tom Brady used to play with the New England Patriots and the reason why I say the Patriots didn't improve is because the subtractions they lost a lot of players I'm not mistaken I think they lost four defensive starters from that outstanding unit in 2019 then you talk about two offensive starters a former uh, all pro special teamer so we know about the you know losing Tom Brady when you lose your quarterback that's a big loss that's that's a very very you know, steep hill to, to, to overcome, losing Tom Brady. And then outside of lo- losing Tom Brady, you know, you're losing the likes of Kyle Van, Van Noy to a divisional foe in the Miami Dolphins, Jamie Collins, Danny Shelton. Um, you know, the list can go on and on and on. So looking at the subtractions we saw from the New England Patriots and not being able to address some of those losses, it's a bit, it's, it's, it's a bit alarming to me. And because of that, you know, I didn't really see any, any improvement. And when you look at, you know, throughout the entire league so many teams got better so many teams improved new england pages i'm not going to say you know they they're not the same team well clearly not because they don't have tom brady but losing tom brady didn't make any moves to you know solidify who that player will be when it comes to the quarterback position we hear jared stidham but you know we don't know exactly what he will provide as a starting quarterback and looking at what the other teams in the division did yeah, I think that's the team that did not improve at all based on the players they lost and then talking about losing a guy like Tom Brady. Yeah, and we had Adam Schefter here on the podcast last week, and he said Jared Stidham is the guy when training camp opens, if there is a training camp, but it's his job to lose at quarterback, and we really don't know much about him. Is he going to be an above-average quarterback when he gets on the field? So that is a big question mark. And you're right, the Patriots really did lose a lot here this offseason, where you lose, obviously, Brady and Kyle Van Noy and Jamie Collins, as you said, but also guys like Philip Dorsett, and they trade away Deron Harmon, a veteran who's been there for a long time, and Steven Guskow their kicker gets cut and James Devlin their fullback retires so that's a lot of veterans that they lost without making any significant additions in free agency the draft obviously they added 10 players I believe but you really never know with the draft so the Patriots will be one to watch but the reason why we can't really rule them out obviously Bill Belichick is still there right yeah yeah I agree and Josh McDaniels Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that is the Patriots for you. Now, what about a team or what about what is your favorite under the radar move this offseason? A move that just isn't getting enough attention for you? An under the radar move that people should be talking about, but clearly other positional moves have really taken uh, control of what we've what we've seen and what we said. I think the Baltimore Raiders, I mean, Baltimore Ravens, I'm sorry, traded for Calais Campbell. Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge, significant move. And the reason why I say that, I think they flipped a fifth rounder for Calais. And yeah, Calais may be closer to the end of his career than the beginning. Of course, based on age, yes, but he's still playing real good football. So now you take a guy who's a consistent pro bowler, who's been an all pro, 
He's not a one-trick pony on the defensive line. He can rush the passer just as well as run, play run defense against uh, uh, offensive running uh, games. And the leadership he will provide on the defense. So that is, that's a huge, huge move that's kind of going under the radar because he plays defensive line. You know, he's an interior guy. But I think that's, that, that, that could be a move that could really allow the Ravens' defense to take another step in the right direction, looking at what Calais Campbell can do and looking at what he's done his last few years in Jacksonville. Yep, Calais is a tremendous leader, one of the most beloved players in the NFL, and probably one of my favorite parts about that trade that happened is that the Ravens tr- got that fifth-round pick that they traded away for Calais Campbell. They got that pick by trading away a kicker, Kyrie Vedvik, last year to the Vikings for a fifth-round pick. So they basically traded away a kicker for Calais Campbell and upgrade that defensive line. It's absolutely incredible. <laughs> no question, no question. Yeah, so, you know, I mentioned earlier that you won two Super Bowls during your career. You played in three of them. Your last one was against Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. I'm curious to know, what did you think of the Packers taking a quarterback, Jordan Love, in the first round, even though Aaron Rodgers is still there, he has a big contract, and they were one game away from the Super Bowl last year. What did you think of that move? Uh, I don't like it when it comes to the hearing now because you take a guy in the first round that should not play this season. And the way you distinguish draft classes, when you look at the expectations, was this draft class a good class or not, is looking at the first round, looking at the second round. Jordan Love should not play at all. So how did you better the team for 2020, right? You didn't. Your first rounder, he's healthy, but he should not play. It's not like Tua Tungabailoa, who, if he sat out in 2020, you're okay with that because of the injury concerns and making sure he's better, you know, year 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 after after that, you know, going forward. But Jordan Love, he shouldn't play at all. So you didn't better the team, so I don't like it. I, I understand you, you have to be concerned with the future, but this is a here and now league. You were very, very close to competing for a championship. The window, championship window is still open for the Green Bay Pack. What did you do to take a step closer to achieving that goal in drafting Jordan Love? You didn't. So to answer your question, I don't like it for the here and now. I like it when it comes to the future plans, uh, because if he develops and become the player that you would like for him to be at the quarterback position, now you got a smooth transformation from Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love whenever Aaron Rodgers' time is done in Green Bay. But for the here and now, I don't like it. Right, and as I said before, we had Adam Schefter on the podcast here last week, and he said it very simply. When you take a quarterback in the first round, and especially when you trade up for a quarterback, all that signals to your current starting quarterback is that he is on the clock. That is all that it says, and it makes you wonder if the Packers are already looking into the future, especially considering their other picks in this draft where they take a running back in the second round, A.J. Dillon. If you look at the other running backs on this roster, Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, both of them are entering the final year of their contracts. And we know in the NFL right now, teams are hesitant to pay their starting running backs. So it makes you wonder if they're already looking into that as well by taking a running back in the second round. Now, obviously, as I said in the start, you played for the Steelers for a long time in all those years in the NFL. Looking at them now, after last year's roller coaster season with Ben getting hurt and all of that, what are you projecting for them to do in 2020 now that Ben is back in the fold at quarterback? If Big Ben is healthy the entire season, I see double-digit wins. The reason why I, I, the reason why I feel that way is because I believe in their coaching staff. And if you were not a believer in Mike Tomlin and his staff, last year Perfect. should have proved to you that they can coach, that they can win ball games. So now you're giving me a healthy Big Ben with nice pieces surrounding him, a you know, stabilized offensive line unit with experience, and then the defense. That defense will not slow down anytime soon. And looking at their schedule, if I'm not mistaken, I think the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens have the two easiest schedules in the AFC, which is crazy, especially in the NFL, which is crazy when you look at the success Baltimore had last year. But that's, you know, how the dice fell for the Steelers and the Ravens. So looking at the schedule, how easy it is based on, you know, what teams did last year, and then looking at Big Ben. And when Big Ben has been healthy, when he's been healthy, I mean, you look at 2018, you look at 2017, he put up real nice numbers. And I think he will put up real nice numbers once again that will result to double-digit wins. 
Yep, and we all saw the Steelers last year. They were able to win games with Doug Hodges and Mason Rudolph. And we all know that defense has so much talent with Watt and Bush and Fitzpatrick and Hayward and Hayden. I could go on and on. They have players on that defense. And if you have Ben back, you add Chase Claypool, this is a team that will create some competition for the Baltimore Ravens in the AFC North. You know, something that fans, especially on Twitter, love doing is ranking players. Who's the best at this position? Who's second? No, he's first. We, all, we always see that. As a former defensive back, and this might be tough for you, could you rank your top three or four cornerbacks in the NFL right now? Ah, my top three. Whew, top three or top four. Based on what, what we saw last year and based on the expectations, you know, coming into this year, my number one would be Stephon Gilmore. I mean, silent assassin. He doesn't say a lot, but boy, he's felt. And he shows up and he shows up all the time against opposing offense's top wide receiver. And you usually don't see any highlights from them the week of. So Stephon Gilmore would be my number one. My number two, Jalen Ramsey. Uh, Florida State guy. Uh, the reason why I would have Jalen number two behind Gilmore is that he's just as good as a talent than Gilmore. But the transition from playing in Jacksonville, then going to the Rams and not really, you know, getting accustomed to what they're doing defensively until towards the end of the season really prevented Jalen from being the type of corner that he can be. But he still was successful. That tells you how gifted he is as a player. And the thing I like about Jalen, Jalen's probably one of the best tackling corners in the National Football League. Mm -hmm. He really approaches tackling just like he approaches playing bump and run coverage. It's a challenge. It's a task, and he goes about it that way, and he's successful in doing so. So Jalen would be my number two, and my number three would be Pat, Pat Peterson, Patrick Peterson. The reason why I have Pat number three uh, didn't play the full year. Remember, he was suspended in the beginning of the year, so he missed some time. And then, of course, when he got back into the thick of things, it took some time to get his feet under him, but then he started to really show his growth. Uh, Pat has been doing it for such a long time. You look at some of the young up-and-coming corners, they all look up to Pat Peterson, and which is crazy because they look up to Pat Peterson, and Pat Peterson is still playing top-tier football. It's, it's, it's weird when you look up to a guy who you actually is still playing with or playing against, and that's the respect that Pat Peterson has, and I can't wait to see exactly what he has in store this upcoming season, knowing that he will be with the ball club from start to finish, but those would be my top three corners. Yeah, but you know what's incredible about Patrick Peterson? If you don't count last season, obviously it was suspended six games that hurt his chances, but every single year, excluding last year, he has made the Pro Bowl eight straight years from his rookie year until 2019. Year in and year out, the guy has been a shutdown corner, one of the best in the NFL, and he is still going strong here in 2020. No question. Now, you mentioned Patrick Peterson. He plays for the Arizona Cardinals. I asked this question to most of my guests. Nobody has said the Arizona Cardinals. I want to hear what you think. Which team for you is the up-and-coming team in the NFL after all the moves we saw in free agency and all the moves we saw in the draft? Which team is it for you? It is. It's the Arizona Cardinals for me. And the reason why I believe they're an up-and-coming team is because they're good at the quarterback position. They don't have to do any more searching. They have a quarterback in Kyler Murray that this system was birthed for. This system was made for Kyler Murray. And we saw how important Kyler Murray is to this system when they went out and made and did the unthinkable in drafting Kyler Murray, you know, first overall with Josh Rosen, a guy who they selected in the first round a year ago. So this system was made for Kyler Murray and he showed that, yes, he can do real good things in this system. So outside of the, having structure at the quarterback position, along with the system tied into what he does best, looking at the pieces they have surround him with. Kenyon Drake, when they made that move to trade for Kenyon Drake midway through the season for Miami, people was like, well, will it work out? You still had David Johnson. You know, what are they doing? Are they just adding depth? They added a piece that will be their future running back for years to come. And he loves that system. Similar to what I was talking about, the system being birthed for Kyler Murray, this system is also birthed for Kenyon Drake. And we saw that based on his stats and how well he performed last year. And then DeAndre Hopkins. Now you go get little Mighty Mouse. Mighty Mouse. Stole him. Uh, Kyle, yeah, you go get Kyler Murray, a target like DeAndre Hopkins. You already had Larry Fitzgerald there, you know, still playing real good football. Uh, Captain Kirk, Christian Kirk there. Then you go provide an unbelievable top-tier target in DeAndre Hopkins. Yes, this offense will be fun to watch. And then not, we can't forget about the defense, some of the moves they made on defense. Isaiah Simmons, 
you know, Swiss Army knife. If the NFL had, if football had a five-tool player, he would be, he would be that player. You know, he would be the, this perfect is what a five-two player is. Yeah, perfect example. So Kenyon Drake, you go get Kennard as well. You add him to the defense, Deon, uh, Devondre Campbell. You know, you, you got Chandler Jones, Pat Peterson. Man, listen, on paper, they look real good. But now you have the resources, you have the players. This, this will put more pressure on Cliff Kingsbury to be able to get the most out of this group. But based on what we've seen with the additions via free agency and through the draft, the, the Cardinals, they're, 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 they're the up-and-coming team for 2020. I've been saying the same thing on my podcast for each guest that I give this question to, and they finish their answer. I'm like, guys, wake up and look at the Arizona Cardinals. If Kyler Murray can take that second-year leap, like Patrick Mahomes, like Lamar Jackson, if he can do that, then watch out for this team. We mentioned the weapons. We mentioned the defensive additions. They also upgraded the offensive line with Josh Jones in the third round. This is a team that is loaded on both sides of the ball, and they have the potential to be really good in 2020. Now, as I said before, I want to talk a little bit about your career And let's start with this. First of all, the NFL schedule just came out. Fans love every last detail of the schedule when it comes out. You saw Twitter, ESPN, NFL Network. They had a three-hour show analyzing every last detail of every team's schedule. But as a player, what are the things that you look at when the schedule first comes out? The first game, you know, who you're starting off the season against, uh, your bye week, when is the bye, and how many Thursday night games you have. Uh, and the reason why the first game is very, very important because this is when you kick the season off. You know, are you home or are you away? You're playing against a divisional foe who you're playing against. Uh, this is the first game of the season is one of the more highly anticipated ball games. You know, so that was always a huge look, look for. When you're looking for a ball game, the first game. And then, of course, like I said, the bye week, Thursday night games. And how many primetime games you have? How many times you're on national TV? National TV is when stars are born. National TV is, national TV is when championship teams are built because that's when you send messages. When I played in Pittsburgh, when we played on it, when we played primetime, either we played on a national televised game, primetime game, or a 425 kickoff, this was an opportunity to send a message to the entire football that we're for real, that we're consistent. So primetime games are message games because everybody is watching. So those were the things that you were looking for that I look forward to seeing when the schedule was released when I was playing. <laughs> so, so basically the opposite of how every fan looks at a schedule. Like I was putting out some of the games on Twitter and I was already getting records for each team. Fans already giving me 9 and 7, 10 and 6, 11 and 5. You guys look at it much differently. Let's go look at your career there in Pittsburgh. Let's start from your rookie season, and you guys made the Super Bowl that year. You win the Super Bowl over Seattle. It was a magical run, but before even getting to the Super Bowl, you guys played in one of the wildest divisional round games in playoff history. Let's go back to that. Steelers up by three. You're inside the Colts five. A a score clinches the win. Jerome Bettis fumbles. Take me back to the sideline. What was going through your mind with Jerome fumble? And then take me through that last possession for the Colts. You know, you were obviously a big part of that. Take us back to that moment. <laughs> what went through my mind, what went through our teammate, uh, my teammate's thing. mind, uh, was did that really happen? <laughs> JB at that time, legendary player. Uh, we, 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 we knew it was his last year. We wanted to get him to Detroit, which was a site of Super Bowl Forty, And the game was pretty much done anyway if we don't score a touchdown we kick a few game is the game is pretty much over because of time time on our side but when he fumbled that ball because I, I remember i remember it like it was yesterday we played the Colts earlier that year and they blew us out i mean we got stomped uh the 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 the, the, the their fans were talking crazy to us so it was this was like a revenge game and i remember coach cower the first time we played indy it was a monday night game we got blown out coach cower told us we will be back in this locker room in January, and there will be a different outcome. At that time, I think that was like an October game or something like that, but we were like, okay, coach, we hear you, but, man, you don't know what can happen. Long story short, we made it back. Our, the RCA Dome, for you football heads out there, the RCA Dome. Yep. And uh, we talking trash. I mean, we're talking trash to, this, to their fans because if you remember how the RCA Dome was set up, the, state, the, the fans were very, very close to the benches, not far away like some of these stadiums are. So you actually can have dialogue back and forth. We're talking trash. We're talking trash. And then instantly the fans went crazy. We're like, why are they going crazy if we score? Right? Then we look back. We see Harper, man, running. 
like, I cannot believe this. Yo, we're like, what just happened? So now, listeners, think about this. We go from talking trash, celebrating, game is over, we're winning this ball game, we're going to the next round to play against whoever in the AFC Championship game, to seeing Nick Harper pick up the fumble, run it, will Big Ben be able to tackle him? We don't know. Oh, he found a way to get him down. Now we got to go right back on the football field and try to stop Peyton Manning with all the momentum in their favor. And me as a rookie, it was like, what just happened? So now we know they're coming out in a sub package, you know, three personnel, uh, well, 11 personnel, you know, multiple wide receivers. They're trying to throw the football. So I know I'm going on the football field. But when we get in the huddle, James Ferrier is looking to the sideline to get the call from Coach Keith Butler to give us the signal of what we're going to run. Their coaches are in, in shock. Everybody's like, what just happened? So I remember James Ferrier's coach like, man, Butts, give me a call, give me a call, give me a call. They gave us the call, and now everybody's like, what just happened? So now I, I was playing the right side. I was always the right corner and nickel. And, and Indy back then, back then, they didn't switch their wide receivers. You know, Marvin will always line up to the left side of the defense. Reggie will always line up to the right side of the defense. So as a rookie, I'm like, I can't just – I'm still thinking about what just happened. But they're coming out in a formation, getting ready to run a play to try to score. And I remember we were in some type of uh, fire zone concept. Reggie ran a dig right on me. And I'm like, oh, man, he caught it, made the tackle. And granted, field goal range is ideal for them because they would tie the game. But they're trying to score. You got paid man. You're not playing around. You know what I mean? You got enough time. They ran a dig route on me. Reggie catches it. I made the tackle. I'm like, oh, my goodness. So now, like I said, I'm a rookie. I'm the only rookie on the yeah. football field. I'm like, yo, JB just actually fumbled the ball? Like, I'm still thinking about that, right? <laughs> How did we go from having the bag secured to losing the bag potentially? So now the next play, we're another fire zone concept. Instantly, fire zone for us in Pittsburgh was man-to-man basically for the corners on the wide receivers. Peyton sees exactly what we're in. They're in a no-huddle formation, so we're still trying to scramble. Peyton sees exactly what we're in, yo. I'm, it's like one-on-one drills. Me and Reggie Wayne, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe this is going on right now. Instantly, I figured I, I felt like Peyton was going to come straight at me. Why not? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm covering a Hall of Fame-like wide receiver I'm in my first year in this type of atmosphere. Straight go route. And what I did was, what helped me in that, in, in, in that, in that situation, if you can look at the highlight, yeah. instead of me man-turning to Reggie and cornerbacks, defensive backs, defensive players, they know exactly what I'm talking about. When you're playing off technique on a pass catcher, usually in man concepts, you man-turn to the wide receiver, to the pass catcher, because you're in a man concept. But something told me to zone turn it. And what zone turning that play did for me it allowed me to keep my eyes on the football. Right. See, a lot of times when we watch defenders in coverage, when they man turn to the wide receiver, they turn to look at the wide receiver, and then they have to find a way to retrace and get their head around to find the football. When you're playing against talented, outstanding wide receivers, if you don't locate the football before they do, they have you. And what happened with me, me zone turning that play, I had my eyes on the ball the entire time when it left Peyton's hands, when it was in the air, and that allowed me to have a jump on where the ball was going to go. And I remember Coach Andrews, who was my defensive coordinator at Florida State and my secondary coach at Florida State, he used to always emphasize the defensive backs. Fight until you hear the whistle blow. Don't ever think you got the job done until you hear the whistle blown. And if you look at that highlight, I hit the football, but Reggie still was scrapping to try to gain Uh control of the football. And he actually was fighting until he hit the ground. And when we both hit the ground, I'm still swinging my arms. And luckily, like I said, if I did not zone turn that play, there's a good chance Reggie would have tried to moss me or just got a jump on the football to attack it at its highest point. But I was able to break that play up. So now think about this. I've made that play. And, and during the, the, the entire sequence of, uh, uh, of, of that entire play, everything was quiet. I didn't hear anything until we both hit the ground and I got up. That's when I heard the crowd again. I know people be hearing that all the time saying, no, oh, it's not like that. Trust me, listeners. When I saw the ball, when I saw the ball leave Peyton's hand, the entire RCA dome was quiet. And then when we, got, when we hit the turf, everything came back to life again. The very, very next play, same, we're in the fireman concept, man to man, no help. I'm out here on Reggie Wayne. It was a stop and go. Mm-hmm. And Reggie ran the stop, but Peyton threw the stop. And I saw it. I got a jump on it. Just couldn't get my hands underneath the ball 
which would have been a monumental play if I would have been able to intercept that pass. But Vanderjack came out, missed the field goal. And, you know, for me, it was like, what just happened? And, and you know what? I didn't really know how big that play was until after the fact. And for me, it was like a routine play, but it was just in a big, big ball game. But, you know, a lot of people say because of that play, not to mention Big Ben making the tackle that allowed us to go on the football field as a defense, you know, paved the way for us to eventually get to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. So I was just happy just to be able to do what I was supposed to do. I mean, you basically saved Jerome Bettis's end of his career, if you think about it. If it wasn't for you, his career is ending there on a touchdown to Reggie Wayne, or they have a shorter field goal to go to overtime. If it wasn't for you, this guy's career possibly ends in, in a nightmare. Uh, man, it, it's, you know, and the thing I like to say is, you know, it's always a team effort. You know, if it wasn't for Ben, I wouldn't have gotten an opportunity to go out there, you know, and, and look at the entire ball game, things that happened throughout that, throughout that ball game. You know, we, we were just, you know, we were very, very, we were mad because we felt disrespected. You know, people said we, we were the first six seed to go to the Super Bowl. No one counted us. No one gave us a shot in the beginning of the playoffs. And for us to get to that, that moment, and Jerome fumbles the football, Big Ben, an unbelievable tackle, shoestring tackle. Mm-hmm. And for me, I just wanted to do what I was supposed to do. Uh, and it worked out for everybody. Uh, honestly, I think, you know, I think that would be something I would never forget in my career just being able to know the guys could depend on me. And like I said, I was a rookie. I was the only rookie. And, and the guys we were playing against, think about this. You know, we played against that Colts team. And I tell people this all the time. That 2005 Indianapolis Colts team probably is one of the best teams to not win the Super Bowl. Yeah. When you look at what they had offensively and defensively, Bob Sanders, Dwight Freeney, Mathis, Bracket. June, uh, Brackett, uh, 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 Marlon Jackson. Uh, man, they had superstars on that team on both sides and look at the hall of famers peyton manning edrin james marvin harrison reggie wayne dallas clark i mean the list go on and on and on with some of the outstanding jeff saturday man they had Mm -hmm. they had some go-getters but we were able to uh you know stop their party which was also important because like i said man they stomped us earlier in the year when we went to uh the rca dome Absolutely. One of the biggest upsets in playoff history, one of the best games in playoff history, and you were a big part of that. And eventually you guys went on to win the Super Bowl over the Seattle Seahawks. For all the younger fans out there who never got to see that game, the game, the full game is on YouTube. You can check it out. The highlights are there as well. Just a fantastic game to go and watch. Now, I want to move on to your next Super Bowl, and that happened in 2008 against the Arizona Cardinals, one of the best Super Bowls ever. You've been involved in some great games, man. So this is another one. But I heard a story that the night before the big game, some of you guys didn't get much sleep. Could you take us back to that night? I thought the story was hilarious, but it could have gotten really bad for you guys. Man, listen, man. One thing about that team. I mean, all the teams I, I was a part of in Pittsburgh, you know, we, we, the togetherness was, much, was, was, was well documented. We did everything together. We went out in Pittsburgh. We went to eat. We went to Morton's Capitol Grill. You see about 15 guys just hanging out, having a good time eating and fraternizing. And road games, home games, playing cards, the game was boo rate. That's what we played. Mm-hmm. That was, it, it was a ritual. That's what we do. It was an opportunity for us to come together and, and, and vibe and kick it with each other. You know, know, know who you get ready to go to war with. And the, the Super Bowl game was no different. Now for us, you know, everything is intensified because it's the Super Bowl, right? So we ended up uh, changing hotels uh, that Saturday to get away from family and friends and the media. We went to an undisclosed hotel. Uh, we had our team meeting. And, you know, everybody is going to be at the hotel. You're not leaving. So once we got doing our team meeting, that little snack, you know, we, 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 we all set up shop in James Ferry room. That was the room we always went to. We always go to the vet. You know, James Ferry had everything laid out for us. We, we, in, there, we in there getting it. So it's probably about, you probably, we probably have about 12, 15 guys in the room. Now, only six can play in the game of Bull Ray. And that game probably started around, I uh, can't, can't recall, I don't recall the exact time, but let's say uh, it's probably about around 10 o'clock, right? Around 10 o'clock, the game kicks off, Bull Ray, mm-hmm. rocking and rolling. I mean, you, you talk about intense card playing, man, listen here. That game, and I tell people all the time, that game was more nerve wracking than the actual Super Bowl. <laughs> I don't know how I can actually say that, but anybody who was a part of that game, that Boomerang game that night, know, they know how nerve-wracking that was. So it's 10 o'clock. We start at 10 o'clock, okay? Then, of course, it's 12.30. We just, by 12.30, we hadn't even finished the first quarter yet. 
that's how intense it was. It was a long quarter. I mean, now it's 2 o'clock. Now it's 3 o'clock. So now 4 o'clock hit. We're like, okay, guys, y'all see what time it is? Oh, yeah, we straight. Everybody good. We don't play until like 6.35. We good. We got time. I mean, listen, we used to do this not as long, but we used to have lengthy card games during 1 p.m. kickoffs. This is what we, this is what we did. You know what I mean? We probably wouldn't get into bed before 1 p.m. kickoff till probably about 2.30, 3 o'clock. So this was kind of the norm, but it just went to a whole nother level. So now it's probably about 6 o'clock. So we're like, yo, man, we tripping. What are we doing? And I remember James Ferrier said, don't worry, man, guys. We're going to have a good game. We're like, how? We don't even have it. We haven't even gotten any rest. He's like, one thing about not having rest is that it makes you alert. When you know you're not prepared, when you know you haven't got the proper amount of rest, now your antennas are up. Now you're very, very cautious because you don't want to mess up because you're not prepared. Don't worry, we'll be good. So around 6.30, 7.30, we still going. Now around 8 o'clock, I get in my room. It was after 8 o'clock. I was so mad at myself. I cussed myself out. I don't even curse, but I was like, Mac, you're so stupid. Why would you even do this? This is the biggest game of your life right now. And you mean to tell me you're just not going to bed at, after 8.30? I wasn't by myself. I mean, it was quite a few guys that did the same thing. And I remember when we walked into the locker room, Raymond James Stadium, you can tell the guys who was in that room with us. The eyes were bloodshot, no sleep, no sleep. And I remember... Also, I think it was James Ferry who said, he said, listen, guys, whatever happens tomorrow, do not mention this card game. Do not mention the time we got done. Because if this gets out and we don't take care of business, oh, my goodness. Now, you know, and now that I'm retired, you know, from the game and I've kind of gotten more involved in gambling, I know a lot of gamblers probably was now hearing this story. They, they might feel some type of way because a lot of people put a lot of money in the line. I mean, we were... We were nice favorites in that ball game, and yeah, the defense did not perform the best based on what we did throughout the year. And now we played against an outstanding offense with a bunch of Hall of Famers as well, but we didn't put forth our best effort, but we made plays when we needed to. But that card game, man, listen, that, that might be one of the best card games I've ever been a part of. That will be one of the best card games that I will never forget. And it happened the night of one of the biggest games of my life. I mean, that might be the most insane football story I've ever heard. And it happened the night before the Super Bowl. You guys basically were what Odell and the Giants were when they went on that boat trip before their playoff game and lost. If you guys lost the Super Bowl and that story came out, you guys would be ripped to shreds. Oh, man, listen, if we would have lost and this came out, man, we probably would not have been welcomed back in Pittsburgh. Because... That team, we were 13-3 and three with the number two seed in the AFC behind Tennessee, but our defense was historical. We had a great defense, and like I said, that Super Bowl ball game, we didn't play our best, and I'm not going to say it was because we stayed up all night, but who knows, but we did enough to win that ball game, but our, yeah, that was, that, was, that was the one move we had. Nobody say anything about this ball game. Uh, when we got into to the stadium, the only people that knew what time we went to bed was the people that were actually in the room. We didn't talk. We didn't say anything about it. And it was just time to play football. But I'm, like I said, man, we, when, when we got together, oh, don't mess around and allow us to have a West Coast trip on Saturday. And we got to fly to the West Coast, like Cali or someplace like that. The entire flight, we're getting it. And, and I'm watching The Last Dance now and just seeing some of the stories about, you know, Jordan, how they played cards. Listen, what we used to do in Pittsburgh, we didn't sit there. Listen, we didn't just play cards on Saturday, on travel days and on, on, on Saturday nights. We did this during the season. We did this during the week. I'm sorry. So if we had practice on Wednesday, right, we would have practice on Wednesday. We'll meet in the morning, and then you have a break, like an hour break where you get lunch, and then you go out on the practice field. We'll practice from, like, at 1 o'clock. So from 12, 15 to 1, you got a little free time to fit in your lunch and whatever you need to do, your media obligations. We were playing then. It would be times when we would get done with practice. Everybody done working out. We wouldn't leave the facility until about 9 o'clock because we, we playing cars. Unbelievable. Was James, <laughs> was, was James Harrison in that game, by the way? No question. Debo oh. was in that game. In the card game? Yeah, yeah. Debo, of course, we call it James Harrison Debo. He had many yeah. nicknames. Silverback, Debo. Yeah, the one thing about James, he would boo you for no reason. Oh, goodness, man. And, and, and the thing about Boo Ray, if you guys don't know what Boo Ray is, you don't want to get booed. When you get booed, that's a bad thing. And usually when it happens, you're not doing well in the card game. And James just, 
he had a, a quick trigger finger, man. He would boo you for no reason. Man, you guys are hilarious. My goodness. Um, the reason I asked about James, by the way, is because obviously he had the biggest play of that game. One of the greatest plays in Super Bowl history with the 100-yard pick six to end the, second, to end the first half. Take us back to what was the sideline like when that happened and what was the locker room like? Because obviously that was the last play of the half. You guys go into the locker room. What was it like over there? That just paved the way for us to win this ball game when that happened. Because the thing about that play, that interception, along with the return for a touchdown, is probably one of the more iconic plays in NFL history. Is because I say, this is why I say that. Now, I might be a bit biased, but look at what it paved the way for. The Steelers ultimately became the first team to win six championships because of that play. Mm-hmm. That play definitely turned around the momentum boost for Arizona. They were going to score. Worst case scenario, Arizona was going to score three points. But you had to like their chances in scoring seven. Arizona scored seven there. Yes, we were getting the ball after halftime, but the momentum shift in their favor with the offense that they had. That play paved the way for us to get our sixth Lombardi, took away Arizona's chance to win their first Lombardi, and then created an avenue of success for the Steelers going forward. Not to mention what James was able to do as an individual. So, and you heard the story all, all the time, I'm pretty sure, from James. James wasn't even supposed to be there. Right. He was supposed to be rushing. He was, we were in an all-out all blitz, uh, uh, Max Peel blitz zero type of deal. And they had a stack alignment with Deshae and, and, and uh, Ike involved. And that stack alignment was similar to what – it was, it was a similar play to what Malcolm Butler picked off against Seattle a few Super Bowls ago. Yeah. And usually you don't see players, defensive players, make that type of play. You got to – the timing has to be ideal. It has to be perfect. And if you look at the play, remove James Harrison from where he was, his body position, that is a, that is a successful play for Arizona. But James Harrison ended up blitzing, and Kurt Warner would tell you all the time, he knew what James was supposed to do. That's why he didn't think he would be there. Hit him dead in the chest. And the thing that I love about that play is the cavalry, you know, leading James into the end zone. Because just picking the play off was huge, but returning it for a touchdown was bigger. That was the biggest deal because we took, that was a 10-point swing. We took three points off the board from, I'm sorry, that was a 14-point swing. 14-point, yeah. Yeah, we took seven off the board. And we put seven on the board for us. If James does not do that, I'm not going to say we don't win. But it's And it was already a difficult daunting task. Even with James scoring that touchdown, we still had to bite, fight and claw. But just imagine if he does not. No, for sure. That play will go down as one of the greatest plays in Super Bowl history. James was gassed on the play. He was on the floor for like five minutes. I want to know what happened in the locker room. For that 30 minutes, 30 minute halftime show, you guys are there, 14 point swing. What was going on? The James Harrison catches breath. What was going on in there? Yeah, well, you got to remember too, James didn't get a lot of sleep. Yeah. The night before. <laughs> hey, when you hey, add we, when you add that on top, it just makes it even greater. Uh, no question, he didn't need sleep. But yeah, when we walked in the locker room, everybody was like, the sigh of relief was whew, was at an all time high. Like, boy, we just dodged a bullet just then. Boy, listen here. And, and for people that knew what the call was, we all knew James was not supposed to be there. That was an accident that turned into an ideal play. Usually coaches want you to do what you're supposed to do. That's the one time that I knew that I saw Coach LeBeau and knew that he knew James was wrong and he congratulated him. You know what I mean? Like I said, James was supposed to be in the blitz concept, but he dropped in coverage. So we went in the locker room. Everybody was like, man, listen, boy, we just dodged the bullet. Come on, man, let's get this thing together because we're playing around with fire right now. Because that team, you know, I talked earlier about how good the, uh, the Colts offense was. But think about the team that Arizona had. Edron James was on that team. You know, he was towards the end of his career. But you had Kurt Warner, Hoffer, Larry Fitzgerald, Hoffer, Anquan Bolden, Hoffer. And shoot, the third receiver was Steve Breston. He went for over 1,000 yards. That office had three wide receivers that surpassed 1,000 yards that year. So it wasn't like we were playing against a, an, an, an above-average offense. That was an elite-type offense. So for us, we were like, man, stop playing around. Let's kind of get this thing in gear because we're trying to win a championship, another championship. 
Wow. I could talk about this Super Bowl for another 10 hours with you after hearing all these stories. I mean, this is just absolutely insane how everything unfolded from the night before to the Super Bowl itself to James Harrison's pick six to the locker room. It's just absolutely crazy. Um, it's Oh, my gosh. Um, we got to move forward here. Let, let's keep on going here. That offseason, you, you end up becoming a free agent, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And you sign with Arizona, a team you just played in the Super Bowl. We'll get back to Pittsburgh in a second. But for that one season, what was it like being with Larry Fitzgerald, one of the greatest to ever play? And by the way, he obviously wasn't happy about losing the Super Bowl. He should have made the tackle on James Harrison on that pick six, but he bumped into one of his teammates on the sideline. I believe it was Antrell Roll. So what was it like being with Larry for that one year after he lost the Super Bowl? Uh, Larry's a great guy. Um, the thing that I love about Larry, he's, he's a hard worker. Uh, one, one of the first things I noticed about Larry Fitzgerald in practice, anytime he catches the football, it doesn't matter. It, it, it doesn't matter what, you know, the situation is. He's returning it to the end zone. I mean, if he has to run 70 yards, he's returning it to the end zone, and he's jogging right back to get back into the huddle to get ready for another play. Every time Larry Fitzgerald catches a football in a practice rep, 7 on 7, 11 on 11, 1 on 1 drills, he's taking it yard. He's taking it to the end zone. That's the type of work ethic he has. And you know why he's considered one of the all-time greats. Because of little things like that that people don't usually talk about. But those are small things that add up to be big things that results to positive things on game days. And outside of his work ethic, he's just a great guy. I mean, Larry Fitzgerald is one of the individuals, when you talk about great people, he is one of those individuals. Uh, he was very, very hospitable to me. Now, granted, it took some time because everybody that was a part of that ball club when I first went out there, they were giving me so much, you know, not hate, but... You were coming from the team that you... you know, used- they were just mad because I was a part of the team that just ended their Super Bowl. Yes, yeah. So I, I, I heard that a lot, and I, and I kind of understood where they were coming from because I probably would feel the same way, you know, and they felt like they should have beat us. Uh, they felt like they were the better team, and uh, we just got lucky. And I heard that quite a bit. And, you know, eventually when these guys saw that I was a part, you know, the Cardinals, and that was, you know, last year, you know, they welcomed me with open arms. And Larry was one of those guys that cl- clearly, you know, had his arms open and, you know, just showed me the ropes. You know, Arizona is a, a great place, great city. Uh, you know, we had great guys out there. And Larry Fitzgerald was one of the, you know, the class act individuals on that team. Yep, and he is still going strong today, going into the 2020 season with Kyler Murray we spoke about earlier, just one of the all-time greats, Larry Fitzgerald. Now, let's go back to Pittsburgh. Troy Palomalo is going into the Hall of Fame this year. Obviously, you played with him all those years in Pittsburgh. What was it like playing with Troy, who I consider to be one of the most exciting players I've ever seen on defense? And I'm sure you probably have a good story about him as well, so go ahead. Man, listen, Troy was Troy was probably one of the more instinctive players I've ever played with or, you know, ever been around. Um, the way how he processes plays, the way how he sees things before they happen is crazy, crazy. I mean, he's like a magician on the football field, and his work ethic is the same. Now, the thing about Troy is Troy was very, very confusing as a player to watch during practice because Troy didn't do a lot of things full speed especially midway through the season when it gets cold in Pittsburgh. You know, Troy will come out in sneakers. We will have on cleats because it's, it's, a, it's practice. We got to go out here and, and give it our all. Troy will be jogging. I never seen a player that could have do everything the wrong way in practice and do everything the right way in a game. Like, if Troy's your, if you, if Troy's your half safety and, you know, he has on his sneakers, uh, they're going to get behind Troy, the wide receiver that is, and they're going to score a touchdown. It was practice. Troy would have speed in practice, but in the game, you know how the, the, the old saying is you practice how you play? You play how you practice? Right. That, doesn't, that doesn't, you know, that does not relate apply. to Troy. It doesn't apply for him. Yeah, it doesn't apply, apply to Troy. Troy can be slow motion. Troy can have on sneakers and not even have them tied. And you're like, okay, we know what kind of practice it is for Troy. But during the game, yo, die. That, that's one thing I'm like, I don't know how Troy can do that, but I can't do that. I'm not good enough. I'm not blessed enough to do that. I, I don't have that gift. 
Uh, but funny story about Troy is that Troy, one thing, I, one thing I love about Troy, he loves to eat. Troy had a sweet tooth. Troy can eat. So Troy knew, uh, you know, me being from South Florida, I had a lot of Caribbean ties. And uh, one time I had one of my uh, good friends who owned a restaurant in Miami. Uh, he sent me some some food, some Caribbean food. So he sent me like some uh, oxtails, some curry goat, along with a red velvet cake. Cake was on point. Man, the cake was good. So what I did was I, I, I gave Troy, I let Troy taste them. And I know Troy loved Caribbean food. And he was like, yo, Matt, man, where did you get this from? I said, well, uh, you know, I had one of my partners send me you know, similar small dish, and uh, you know, it's not as good as it would have been fresh in the restaurant, but it's still pretty good. So I'm like, man, I know. He was like, okay, Matt, could you have him? Uh, could you have him send some food up for me? So I'm like, okay, cool. So I, I text my partner, and I'm like, yo, uh, you know, uh, Troy want to know, could you send him some, you know, some food? Of course, it's Troy. He like, man, it doesn't matter, whatever. So I said, Troy, what you want, man? Troy ordered. I don't want to exaggerate. But the list of things that Troy wanted me to order, and I said, Troy, who is this for? Like, are you feeding the entire house? You feeding the entire secondary? Troy's like, no, this is all for me. I, I actually had to order like 12 different dishes just for Troy with a whole cake. Now this is in season, right? This is not like it's off season where you just kind of parlay and, and, and have fun. This was during the season. And when I sent it, it was a box. It was just a box that, a box of, uh, it was a big box that he sent it in along with a whole cake. And I remember when I gave it to Troy, Troy was so happy. And then literally in about four days, Troy was ready to put in another order. I said, Troy, now wait a minute. You got to have about 10 dogs in the house or something like that. You must be feeding some big time animals. Where did all this food go? And he was like, no, Mac, you know, Mac, I just love it. I just love Caribbean food. So long story short, this man ate almost like 14 dishes of, of, of Caribbean food by himself. I would never think of Troy being like that. That, that, is, that is incredible. Man, listen, when anytime we used to go to the West Coast, like San Diego. He's a USC uh, guy. Or, or, or Arizona. He had a good plug with uh, Hawaiian barbecue. It was a Hawaiian barbecue spot somewhere out there. Man, when Troy used to have the dishes laid out for us, and I never had that type of barbecue before, but Troy, listen, Troy, an ideal job for Troy post-football would be, what's the, what's the guy that has the, the food show with the spiky hair, with the white um, beard, uh, white hair, um, where he travels in a little red convertible? I know who he is. It's, it's just not coming to me. Um, he's, yeah. friend, he's friends with Jake Glazer. I forgot his name. Um, no, exactly. Yeah, he has the raspy voice. Yeah, Yo, that, that would be the ideal job for Troy. If Troy could have that job where he could ride around different restaurants and taste their food and eat their, eat their food, he'd be in heaven. He would be in heaven. Man, that's awesome. That's just a great story. I would never think of Troy like that. And by the way, the guy's name is going to come to me. It's not coming to me right now. I don't know why. The guy's on TV. I can't remember his name. It's going to come to me. We'll get back to it in a second. But um, last one here for you, Bryant. You've played in a bunch of big games. I count 14 playoff games, three Super Bowls. You've seen the great quarterbacks. You've seen the great wide receivers. Who was the toughest quarterback to play against and who was the toughest wide receiver to play against? Oh, ah, that's, a, ooh, that's a tough one. I didn't know I played in 14 playoff games. Yeah, wow. I, I had to go check it out. 14, wow. Wow, man, I was blessed and highly favored. 14 playoff games. Uh, let's, the toughest quarterback? I mean, you're talking about... <laughs> You've played some it's, great it's, ones. It's between Tom and Peyton, man. It's between Tom and Peyton and... I don't know who you want. The, the toughest, it's hard to pick either or because both guys were so good. I think Peyton probably was the more cerebral quarterback. And what I mean by that, what I mean when I say that is that he will tear you up with his mind. He could really manipulate, manipulate you with his mind. Not saying that Tom couldn't, but what Peyton did, he was a coach playing quarterback. He was vocal. Of course, you hear things like Omaha call on his own place. Mm -hmm. And he had the talent. He had the arm talent. He had the accuracy. Now, Touchdown Tom had that. Touchdown Tom also had that, I'm like a dog. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm coming at you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you see, you Tom see was now. more, yeah, Tom was more emotionally involved. He was, he was more emotionally charged. So, I, I can't, it's hard for me to pick which guy was the best, but they're, they're, they're both 1-8. There's no 1B when you talk about Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. In my opinion, they're 1A, 1A. So either one of those guys, and you talk about wide receivers, oh, man, oh, my goodness, man. Reggie Wayne was a guy who was tough for me because um, everything looked the same. Reggie Wayne, in my opinion, he's the closest 
wide receiver I can compare to Jimmy Smith. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy Smith, in my opinion, was one of the best wide receivers I saw in my rookie year because he was strong, he was fast, he was quick, and all of his routes looked the same. Now, granted, Jimmy Smith might not go down as one of the all-time greats because of, you know, issues not football-related, but when he was dialed in, Jimmy Smith was – he was tough. And I look at Reggie Wayne in that same light. Reggie was so skillful. He knew how to attack your leverage. He knew how to make you think one route was coming when it was not. And all of his routes looked the same. The same routes you saw from Reggie in the first quarter, you saw in the fourth quarter when he should have been tired or fatigued, but he still gave you the same pressure. He still gave you the same gas, and his hands were automatic. So I'd say for me probably Reggie Wayne was one of the best guys that I've I, that I seen. And a lot of that had to do with what I saw from Reggie my rookie year. Mm-hmm. We, we played him twice. And like I said earlier, they didn't flip-flop. You know, when I was on the football field, I had to cover Reggie Wayne, and those were a lot of reps. Man, you've played against some great quarterbacks, some great competition. You were on some of the greatest defenses. You've won the Super Bowls. And by the way, the chef you brought up before, I got his name. It's Guy Fieri. Yes. Yo, Guy should listen. If he can, Troy would fall in love. I Listen, I love watching this show because anytime I watch it, I love food anyway. But it makes me hungry, and I want to go try out new things. But Troy would be ideal to be a Robin for Guy. Since Guy's Batman, you know, he, Troy could be the ultimate Robin, and it'd be must-see TV. By the way, do you guys still keep in touch, all of you? Like, Troy retired, and I was going to the Hall of Fame, but we didn't hear anything about him in between. Do you guys still keep in touch, all of you? Yeah, we all keep in touch. I mean, we actually have a Steeler chat. It's probably like 17 of us. Um, and, you know, Troy, Casey Hampton, James Ferrier, Ike Taylor, myself, Joey Porter, Tyrone Carter, Chris Hope. Uh, man, it's a quite a few. Hines, man, it's a lot of guys in that chat. And we just be rocking and rolling. Yeah, and Troy's in that chat also. The Shay, uh, man, Troy living life. Uh, I saw Troy actually in Miami. You know what's crazy? So me and Troy, I had a chance to interview Troy for CBS Sports HQ. And uh, when we got done, the first thing he asked me about, hey, yo, B-Mac, is your guy still cooking here in Miami? Does he still have the restaurant? <laughs> so he was inquiring about, you know, trying to get some, trying to get some food from, uh, from Lorna's, uh, my, my, my partner in Miami who has a restaurant, you know, Lorna's. So. Yeah, yeah, we, we all keep in contact, and that, and that tells you how together we were. We were, uh, you know, most of us has been retired for quite some time, but we still talk, we still check on each other, we still fraternize like we used to. We don't get a chance to play as much as many card games because you know, right. we all live in different parts of the country, but we're still together. Man, Brian, this was really fun, man. Like seriously, great analysis, some awesome stories. Those Steelers teams were obviously great. And I cannot thank you enough for coming on. I really appreciate it. And we're going to do this again. And when I say I could talk to you for another two, three, four, five hours about this, I really, really could. But um, seriously, I really appreciate it. And thank you for coming on. I appreciate you for reaching out to me, man. And, uh, you know, stay home, stay safe, or just stay safe and uh, go Steelers. All right, so that was Bryant McFadden, the former Steelers cornerback. Special thanks to him for joining me on the podcast this week. That might have been my favorite interview since I started this podcast. Just a lot of great stuff from him with great stories. Make sure to give him a follow on Twitter and on Instagram. It is at BMAC, B-M-A-C underscore sports talk. As I said before, he is now with CBS HQ and he puts out some great football content on his social media. So make sure to give him a follow. Before we wrap up this episode, I have to announce our giveaway winners. Last week, I told you all to rate and review this podcast. And in your review, let me know which team had the best overall draft and which player was the biggest steal at where they were drafted. And if your answer matches mine then you will win one of two officially licensed NFL jerseys. Now, I will say that doing this giveaway was a lot of fun, and I want to do more of these, especially now that the offseason is going to be much quieter and less hectic. So we got to do more things to keep up, you know, keep up the pace and keep them doing things, you know, so we got to do more. So I want to do more giveaways. So that's number one. But as for this giveaway... We got a lot of different answers, some similar answers, some outside-the-box answers, but we were looking for the answer that will match with me. Only one person nailed it, nailed both answers. My number one um, team that had the best draft, my number one steal, only one person actually got it right. So let me first give you my answers, and then I'll tell you how we got our second winner. For me, the team that had the best draft was the Dallas Cowboys. 
obviously this was very close first of all it was Dallas or another team but as for Dallas obviously getting CD Lamb at number 17 was huge and shocking to many I and many others compared CD Lamb to DeAndre Hopkins his ability to, to twist and to turn his body in the air and there's no ball that is out of his radius. So he, he just has that ability, which will be great for Dallas. He's a freakish athlete who will do big things in Dallas with Amari Cooper, with um, Ezekiel Elliott and Michael Gallup and the rest of the offense there. But after that, they also get a guy like Trevon Diggs in the second round. Someone who in mock, mock drafts was going as a first round pick. You get him in the second and add him into the secondary. Another player who will contribute right away in day one. They also add a center in the fourth round. Tyler Bayadish. I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly. But um, in the fourth round, they add him after making a trade. He was a three-year starter at Wisconsin. They obviously lost Travis Frederick to retirement. And he won't be the guy right away. He won't be the starter right away. They obviously, they need someone to replace Travis Frederick. And they have guys on this roster like Connor McGovern and Joe Looney. But he is someone who could eventually be the future center in Dallas. Also adding to the defense with Neville Gallimore in the third, Reggie Robinson in the fourth, Bradley Anai in the fifth. Tremendous value across the board. And you know what? Dallas is a team that always gets laughed at on social media i get it it happens you know they're america's team and people don't want to hear that and eagles fans don't like them and all that but you have to admit that if there's one thing that all fans should agree on it is that they know how to draft they've really figured it out over the last five six seven ten years of course they aren't perfect no one is perfect when it comes to drafting but if you look at their recent history they've nailed a bunch of picks and i feel like they hit a home run here in 2020 so a lot of people said the dallas cowboys but only one person also got the biggest steal in the draft which matched my answer and for me it was the Ravens grabbing Ohio State running back J.K. Dobbins at number 55. Now, I understand that teams have realized, especially the bad teams who draft high, that drafting a running back early, especially in the first round, is not something they should be doing. So, I was not expecting J.K. to go in the first. But for me, he was my number one running back in this draft, depending on where he landed. I love the fit in Baltimore. And this is a guy who could run inside and out. He's a good pass catcher as well. He improved his pass protection last year at Ohio State. And he has the potential to be a three down back in the NFL. If I'm a fantasy guy, I'm playing fantasy next year. I'm on the J.K. Dobbins train. I love the fit in Baltimore. Getting him at number 55 is a major steal. If you listen to my recording, my podcast with Jordan Reed before the draft, J.K. was the only running back I brought up in that interview just because I liked him that much and he was my favorite running back in this draft. So if you listen to that podcast, you might have got a hint as to who my biggest steal was in this draft. The only person who got both answers correct, the Cowboys and J.K. Dobbins, it was the Apple username Russ890. Russ890. If that's you, DM me on Twitter. My DMs are open. Show proof that it is you. And then we will get all your information from your address to your jersey you want, to the size you want, and Blue Wire will ship it to you. Now, how do we get our second winner when nobody else got both my top answers? So this is what I did. If you got the Cowboys as the team of the best draft, but you got my second favorite steal in your answer, then you are a possible winner. The problem was that a lot of people got this one right with my second favorite steal. So we had to do a randomizer to get the final winner. Let me first tell you who is my second favorite steal. So I liked a lot of guys. I liked Denzel Mims. I liked KJ Hill. I liked CD Lamb. I liked Zach Bond. I liked um, um, Bryce Hall to the Jets. There were a lot of guys who I thought were steals at where they were taken. But for me, my second favorite steal in this draft after J.K. Dobbins was Houston offensive tackle Josh Jones going to the Arizona Cardinals in the third round. This was a guy who throughout the pre-draft process was projected as a late first, early second round pick. He dropped all the way to the third round and the Cardinals were able to get him there because they didn't have a second round pick. Keep that in mind, Arizona did not have a second round pick. They were able to get him in the third round and how shocked was Cliff Kingsbury that they got him in the third round. This is what he said. 
we were calling around trying to figure out why was he still on the board. We were like, did he kill somebody last night? So that is what Cliff Kingsbury said when they ended up drafting Josh Jones in the third round. They were completely stunned that he was still on the board. And the Cardinals have a massive gaping hole at right tackle. That has potentially been fixed up now with Josh Jones coming in in the third round. He's a better pass protector than a run blocker, but his athleticism and his hands are outstanding, and that is why I thought he would go higher than where he did. Four people got this one right. It was Carlo B75, it was GG Gerald Wallace, Abazi 14, and Duh Is He. They all got the Dallas Cowboys and Josh Jones in their answer. So how do we get that second winner? We did an online randomizer. It was the best of five. The first name to come up three times was going to be the winner, and the winner was... G.G. Gerald Wallace. He was the winner. He wrote, Hearing Shefty's voice is great. Cowboys dropped a fire draft. Josh Jones being my biggest steal. That was his review. So he was winner number one. If Gerald Wallace does not give me an answer back, the second winner and in waiting is going to be Carlo B75. You came in second place on this randomizer. So if he does not give me an answer by Thursday, then you can DM me as well. So there you go. Our two winners for the jerseys. It was Russ890. It was GG Gerald Wallace. They will get jerseys. Make sure to DM me for information on how to get it to you. I really do want to do more of these. So stay tuned for more now that we are in this hiatus of the offseason. Also, one more thing here is that we have to find a way to do these giveaways, but also get our Android people involved as well. This was a podcast that was solely for the Apple podcasts. So we are going to figure out a way to get everyone involved the next time we do a giveaway. This was obviously the first one we did with the podcast version of giveaways. So there are things to fix up. But um, it looks like it went pretty successful. People were involved. We got a lot of good answers and we got our winners and we will ship out the jerseys to our winners. That does it here for this week's My Sports Update football podcast. I am your host, Ari Mayrov. Again, a big thank you to Brian McFadden for joining the podcast. A big thank you to you for listening and downloading. Make sure to review and rate the podcast if you haven't done so yet. And I'll be back with another episode next week with another special guest. So until then, stay safe and we'll chat again soon.